Well, good morning and welcome to everyone here, those joining us with our online campus and Bush Lake campus. It's so good to be together. My name is Zach and I have the joy of serving here as one of the pastors on staff. And as you can see, we are in the middle of a sermon series called This Is Us. Uh, this series is all about uh, really uncovering uh, how God has, has called us as a church when we were established in 1995 all the way through into the future. And it's an invitation for each and every one of you to step into the story with us. And so we're taking some of this language, this uncovering of who we are as a church, and we're spending some time unpacking that. So over the last few weeks, we've looked, first of all, at our way of life. We would say our way of life is this, to be and love like Jesus. We wanna be like Jesus, and then we wanna love like Jesus as well. Next, we looked at our purpose and our mission. Our purpose, is to know God and share Jesus. And Pastor Ben talked about this, that as we know God, we're gonna share Jesus with those around us. And then that raises the question, well then how and where? That's our mission. We know God and share Jesus through loving others here, near, and far. Here in our own community, in our Twin Cities, and around the world as well. And so today, it's my joy to kick off our conversation around values. But before we dive in, we first have to ask the question, what is a value? You ready for this? A value is what you value. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, a value is something that you hold near and dear to your heart, and they're important because values help direct decision-making, okay? So you might have values for your own personal life. You might have values in your family or in your place of employment, the company or the business that you work for, but we also have values here as a church at Westwood, and those values guide and direct our decision-making. In fact, I was reminded of a story that I heard uh, some time ago about a family who has been attending here at Westwood. Um, their whole family, husband, wife, their kiddos, and uh, the wife, she was at a, a party, some type of shower at some time, and they were sitting there making small talk, they were having conversation, when all of a sudden the topic of faith came up. And she said, oh yeah, we, we go to Westwood Community Church just up the road there. And someone at this shower kind of responded and said, oh yeah, isn't that church like all about Jesus? <laughs> There's a long awkward pause. <laughs> well, yes, of course they are. Like, I, I think that that's really what we're after. And it was kind of like, sure, yeah, absolutely. And, and so you could say that, that we wanna be a church that values Jesus, that our decisions are uh, driven by Jesus. In fact, the three values that we have here, you could say we value Jesus, people and rhythm. So Jesus, people and rhythm. Over the next two weeks, we'll look at people and rhythm, but today we're gonna to be unpacking this idea of Jesus. And so what is it about Jesus that we value? Uh, well, the value guides our decision-making. We would say this, Jesus means this, we share, we speak, and we teach about Jesus. Why is that? So that all may know him. Okay, we, we share, we speak, and teach about Jesus so that all may know him, here, near, and far, all around us. And so that's what we wanna be about as a church, that our values are driven by Jesus first and foremost. But I get it. And whenever we start talking about Jesus, whenever we bring it to the table, when we come to the table ourselves, I think that we all have a different posture or position about Jesus. Because if we're honest, maybe some of us are like, oh, Jesus, meh, what's the big deal? And maybe for some, you kind of just go through the rhythm, the routine, you check a box, but Jesus, if you're honest, isn't really the, the center of your life. Uh, maybe for others, you grew up in a faith, uh, kind of like David's faith story from last week where Jesus was taught about, but it was kind of just his moral teaching. You didn't really see Jesus as anything other than that. Maybe for some, you're navigating a season right now where you're just kind of frustrated 
Uh, Maybe you feel like Jesus is distant from you and that leads to your frustration and resentment. Uh, Maybe for others of you, you don't know how to get Jesus off the page and into your life. Someone's like, amen with that, all right? And so when we talk about Jesus, this is really what we wanna be about. And so I wanna talk about this importance, this value that we have around Christ. And so to give you a roadmap for today, uh, we're gonna be looking at three key points. First, an encounter, second, an experience, and then third, an expression. So first of all, an encounter. How can we encounter Jesus? Second, an experience. How can we experience him each and every day? And then third, an expression. How can we express this value of sharing, speaking, and teaching about Jesus so all may know him? But let's jump into our first point, which is the encounter with Jesus. Uh, It's really important because a lot of times in our faith, we can say that in our faith, we can be in relationship with Jesus. Okay, we can know him and we can trust and we can grow in our relationship. And so a parallel that I a lot of times can draw, it's not a perfect parallel, but I think about the parallel that I have with my wife, Cassie. We're in relationship together. Now, the first encounter that we had, so I went to Bethel University here in the, the cities up in St. Paul area. And uh, yeah, we got one Bethel person here. All right, <laughs> go Royals. Uh, and uh, Cassie was my tour guide. Okay. So, oh, I know. Uh, so here's the thing. I'm sitting on this tour and, and about halfway through, I'm like, I could see myself going here. <laughs> and so I said yes, and I enrolled to go to Bethel because my, I had a really cute tour guide. And then I got to campus and I stalked her. I mean, I looked her up, okay? <laughs> and I found out she was giving a tour, go figure. So I, I needed another tour, okay? I needed another tour. So I went and I connected with her and uh, we went eventually that first week of school on our unofficial first date. We went to Applebee's, half price apps, super romantic, I know. Okay, but just imagine, this didn't happen, but just imagine after that first unofficial date, if we were walking away and I was like, hey, I really enjoyed this time. Let's be in a relationship together. In fact, let's get married. But then I never spoke to her ever again. All right, that'd be kind of awkward and that wouldn't really necessarily make for a healthy relationship, would it? Now, the reason why I say that is because how many times are we handling our relationship with Jesus in the same way? We come into a first encounter with Jesus and we're like, hey, this is great. Yeah, sure. But then we never talk to him after that. We have that first encounter, but then we don't have that abiding relationship with him. Or maybe for some of us here, if we're honest, we've never encountered Jesus at all. So what I want to do in this first little bit here is I just want to introduce and maybe reintroduce to you who Jesus is And what I want to do is I want to walk through a story in Matthew chapter 16 because we'll see that there are numerous people that that view Jesus differently, that had a different encounter with Jesus based on what they believed to be true about him. Okay, so let's dig in. Matthew chapter 16. First of all, we see that there was a group called the crowds. This is the crowds. Who did the crowds then, the crowds then in Jesus' time, who did they say he was? Well, we can read it here. It says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people, so, so who does this crowd, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And so what we see here is that this crowd, th- these are really people who were kind of at a distance. They were on the fringe. They didn't really have proximity to Jesus. And so they just had an underlying assumption about who he was. Maybe he was a prophet. Maybe he was John the Baptist. Maybe he was just a good moral teacher or rabbi and nothing more than that. But see, here's the saying, friends. This isn't, didn't stop just then with the crowds then, but this continues along today. 
Because we see that today, there are also crowds today. And what is it then that the crowds say about Jesus? Well, a recent study suggested this. Uh, 52% of American adults believe that Jesus was a great teacher and nothing more. Okay, 52%. So it's really a flip of the coin of American adults who, who believe that Jesus was just a good moral teacher, but nothing more. But you see, here's the kicker. If Jesus was just a good moral teacher, what do we do then without some of his claims of him being God? Well, here's what it says here, and the study continues. If Jesus' claim to be God is false, then he was either delusional or deceptive, but he cannot have been a great teacher. I mean, think about it. If someone is running around saying, hey, I'm a great teacher of morality, but I'm actually lying, are they a good moral teacher? No, absolutely not. So we have to drill in and we have to understand who is Jesus really? Well, after the crowds, it moves into his disciples because then Jesus says, okay, the crowds say that, but, but disciples, who did the disciples say that he was? And so he asked Peter and Peter responds, but what about you? He, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I mean, this is so good because Peter is a guy, I mean, Sometimes he gets it, sometimes he doesn't, but you can see here this glimmer of hope where he begins to understand. He says, yes, I believe that you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who has come to ransom and redeem the world. That's what we believe about you, Jesus. That's what the disciples are saying. And so then, if you wanna to get to know someone really, what do they say about themselves? So then we ask this next question, who did Jesus say that he was? Uh, well, Jesus responds to Peter. He, he says this, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And so Jesus is affirming. He's saying, yes, I, I, I know, you, you get it, Simon. This wasn't just out of your own intellectual curiosity or drive, but the Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You are correct. And so Jesus is right there saying, guess what? Yeah, I, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. All of those sort of things. But then we shift now to today. And the question is then, who do we, meaning Westwood as a whole, who do we say Jesus is? You ready for it? Uh, well, we would say this. Uh, we believe Jesus is who he says he is. <laughs> so, so we're gonna take Jesus at his word. We're gonna say, yes, Jesus, we, we trust you. We, as we are in relationship, we know and trust you. So we could ultimately say this. Jesus is fully God, fully human, savior of the world. Okay, he's fully God, fully human, savior of the world. Okay, savior of the world, let's unpack that. In his name, Jesus, it's a derivative of the Hebrew name, Yeshua, which meant savior or deliverer. So even in his name is his purpose. But we think about that, John three sixteen, one of the most uh, memorized passages in all of scripture. For God so loved thee that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believed in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus is the savior of the world. But not only that, Jesus is fully God and he's fully human. And I know and I understand that this can kind of be like, well, well how, do we, how do we get to that? And why is that important? Well, we can really unpack this through Romans chapter five. Look at what the apostle Paul says. He says this, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many 
will be made righteous. And so Paul here is talking about the one man that were made sinners, and so also through the one man, the many will be made righteous. What, what Paul is saying here is he's talking about uh, the one man, namely Adam, who fell and stumbled in the garden, and now the one man, namely Jesus, who was perfect in the garden, namely the garden of Gethsemane, when, when all temptation for him to turn and run, he said, I'm gonna go forward through And so what we can see is that through one man came disobedience, and through the other man, Jesus, came obedience. Through the one man's disobedience came sin. Through the one man's obedience came justification and righteousness for all of us. So what we can see is that Jesus is the true and greater Adam. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded, but also Jesus is fully God in the sense that he can give you and me righteousness. Okay, I can't give you righteousness. Only God can give righteousness. And so that's what we see and Jesus, that he's fully God and fully human. So how exactly does this work? How does, how does it work that Jesus being fully God and fully human can really land in our lives? Well, we do find ourselves in the Easter season. We're in Lent, moving towards Easter. And as we move towards Easter, we move towards the cross. And when I think about the cross, I think about a number of God's attributes and characteristics coming to the forefront. Okay, a lot of times we say that, that Jesus, that God, is a just judge, But then at the same time, we say that Jesus is also gracious and loving. So how is it that these two that seem to be uh, opposed to one another, justice and love, how is it that we see those two converging and intersecting in the life of Christ? Well, let's just think about that really quick. Okay, so for a moment, what does a just judge do? Imagine that there's a judge and someone commits a crime and comes forward. And that judge kind of looks at him and says, nah, I'm going to look away. I'm not going to dish out the punishment. What would that make that judge? An unjust judge. So what we see is in God that he has to do something. It's part of his very nature. He has to do something about sin and all the wrongdoings in this world. He has to dish out the punishment on someone. So who is the recipient of God's punishment? You ready for it? Jesus himself. And that's where we see the outpouring of Jesus's love and grace. We see justice and love and grace converging at the cross. And it is a beautiful picture but I realize that that's still kind of like, okay, that's, that's a little bit ethereal. That's kind of conceptual. Um, how, how do we actually uh, see that in our lives? Well, let me just illustrate with a, a little bucket here, all right? So I want you to think with me. Um, every time you commit a sin, a wrongdoing, that you disobey God, uh, we are adding to our account. We're adding before the judgment seat that we deserve punishment. And, and so if you have ever sinned, you're taking, it's like you're taking a little rock and you're dropping it in there. Okay, so let me just ask the question. Have you sinned today? I have like twice, maybe. Okay, have you ever lied? Drop a rock in the bucket. Have you ever done something unloving? Have you ever disobeyed God's will? Drop a rock in the bucket. Have you, hypothetically speaking, of course, ever been driving down the highway, somebody cuts you off and you get really angry and you say something at them? Not me, of course, but for all of us here, you drop a rock in the bucket. It's kind of like Oprah, okay, you know? I get a rock, you get a rock, everybody gets a rock. (laughs) Y'all can amen that. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But now we take this a little step further because it's not just my sin, but it's all of our sin. Now imagine all of the sin, all of the rocks uh, uh, for all time being gathered together. Imagine that we're sitting in U.S. Bank Stadium where the Minnesota Vikings play. 73,000 person capacity and all people of all time are there with their buckets. Now I'll give you a hint. There's probably gonna be more than just about six rocks in that bucket. There's gonna be a few more. But imagine that all of our rocks are poured out onto the field. 
You, you can imagine there's going to be this giant pile of rocks, and then a cement mixer truck comes in and begins to pour cement in, cementing all of these rocks together. And it's forming and it's fusing into one giant concrete block. Okay, just imagine how big would that be? And now all of a sudden, God takes a cosmic chain and he begins to uh, pull that giant rock up 30,000 feet up into the stratosphere. Okay, and he's getting ready because God is a just judge. He has to do something with sin. So he has to drop the punishment, this giant rock upon somebody. Who is he going to drop it on? He should have dropped it on you and me. But instead, he drops it right there on the 50-yard line. He drops it on his son, Jesus. In fact, Isaiah 53 says this. For it was the will of the Lord uh, to, to crush him for our iniquities and to bruise him for our transgressions. And so we see right there, Jesus being fully human, stepping in and receiving the punishment that a human deserved. And he is our substitute. In fact, the theological word is substitutionary atonement. That he steps in and in his death, he makes us one again with God. But he's not just fully human, he's also fully God. And he gives righteousness to all of us. And so I had this realization one day when I was sitting there in my dorm room in college. As I had just, like a year prior, I had come out of this really, really dark season in my life. Where at one time I just, I was so mad, I was injured, I was playing hockey, my whole life was wrapped up in hockey. And whenever that identity fell through, like I, I really had nothing left to live for. And I walked in and I just, one day I just shouted, I said, God, I am done with you. We are through, like you're dead to me. Uh, I just thought, how could a loving God allow me to go through with this? And, and maybe some of you are here today and you're in that season. Or maybe for others of you, you find yourself in a season where your bucket overfloweth because you are aware of the sins and the, the wrongdoings and the disobedience that you have. And that burden weighs you down with so much guilt and shame. And so as I sat there in my dorm room that one night, this reality that Jesus being fully God all of a sudden just hit me. And I realized, okay, Jesus has all the attributes of God, meaning he has divine foreknowledge, meaning he can see all things into the future. And it dawned on me one time as I connected that to the crucifixion that as Jesus walked through Jerusalem with the cross on his back, as he was laying there and they stretched his arms out and they drove railroad spikes into his hands and into his feet, Jesus could look down the corridor of time and he could see that day that I would turn my back on him. He would see all the times that, that you would disobey him and that you would turn your back on him as well. And guess what? That did not demotivate him from going through with his crucifixion anyway. Think about the love. Think about the resiliency of Jesus. I mean, think about it. It's like, would I do something for someone nice if they were going to stab me in the back? Like, absolutely not. Thank God that I'm not God. Okay, praise Jesus that I wasn't the one there because I would have been like, deuces, I'm out. I'm not going through with it because look at what they're going to do to me. But we see in Jesus this perfect love and grace. And now, one of the things that we say here at Westwood frequently is no longer do we have a bucket of wrath because that's been given to Jesus, but now we have a bucket of mercy he takes our punishment, our wrongdoings, and he gives us his grace and his love, and he pours that out onto us each and every day. His mercies are new every single morning. And so when I think about it, I, I go back to a quote that I oftentimes have to repeat in my head, and it's by Leonard Ravenhill. He, he said this. He said, Jesus came not to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people live. 
I mean, I mean, sit on that. Is, is Jesus concerned with our morality? Absolutely. He, he wants us to be morally good, but, but his chief purpose is, is not to make us a good people. His chief focus is that we might move from death into new life, but not just any life. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life abundantly, zoe, life abundant. And so that's what Jesus is after. Uh, that's the encounter that we can have with him. But then it also impacts us on a day-to-day basis. But I wanna just ask this question. Okay, it's one thing for us to answer the question, who is Jesus, but I want you to answer that question, who do you say Jesus is? Okay, who do you say? If I was to come down and do a little bit of on-the-floor reporting, I won't do it, don't worry. But if I was to put a microphone in your face and say, who do you say Jesus is? How would you respond to that? You see, because we can have this first encounter, and we heard a little bit of it as we got to uh, worship here, but, but some of y'all shouted out, he's, he's Savior, he's Redeemer, he's friend, he's neighbor, he is love. So what I want to do now is I want to just unpack that question for us. Who is Jesus to us? I want us to begin to drill into this a little bit more, and as a pastor, I've, I've had conversations with people um, all the time, and so I think that there are, there's more than five, but you know, I, five personality types really stuck out at me. Because I think that there are personality types that we have strengths and we have um, giftings, but we also have weaknesses and we have concerns and we have fears. And I think that if there's anything to be true about right now, it's that there's so much fear bubbling up in our world today. But the way that we can confront that fear is through biblical truth and through a right picture of who Jesus is. And so I invite you, as I'm sharing some of these fears and these concerns, put yourself in the story. Begin to ask the question and say, yeah, that's me. That's some of my fears. Okay, so who's the first one? Okay, the first one is, is the achievers. Okay, so the achievers, these are people who um, fear that their life won't amount to anything, that they have to achieve, and, and then only whenever they have um, great success and impact or, or, or um, results on the world, then their life will amount to much. And I'll be honest, this is me. Okay, I, I put myself up here first. Okay, so for the achievers, Jesus says these words, Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And here it is. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We can't achieve our own salvation. Our, our salvation isn't based on our works, but it's based on Jesus's work. So if we were to answer that question, who is Jesus to us? We could ultimately say this. Jesus is the great achiever of your salvation. Okay, Jesus is the great achiever of your salvation and of my salvation as well, that we can look to hope in him. Okay, what about the second person? Uh, well, the second person would be the protectors. And the protectors have fear about fear itself. Okay, these are people that have a natural inclination to, to protect and guard those around them. And maybe they have a fear of being found as uh, vulnerable or abandoned. Maybe this is you. And you need to hear these words from Jesus. John 17, he says, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost. Okay, Jesus is praying to his father and he's saying, no one has been lost. None of my disciples have been lost, but I've protected them. And so we could ultimately say, who is Jesus? We could say, Jesus is a great protector. He protects you and he protects me. Now, what about this third type of person? The third type of person is the intellectual. Okay, for the intellectuals, they have a fear of being seen as uh, dumb or ignorant or, you know, if I just accept Jesus, I'm gonna be seen as one of those crazy people that's doing crazy stuff. But Jesus enters into the story, into our experience, and he meets us there. In fact, he had an interaction, an encounter with one of his own disciples. He had a nickname, actually, and his nickname was Doubting Thomas. Okay, look at what Thomas said here. But he, Thomas, said to them, 
Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Okay, Thomas is looking for tangible, empirical proof. And he's saying, unless I see it, I'm not gonna believe. So what does Jesus do? He steps towards him. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Uh, What I love about this is that Jesus is saying, oh, you've got a strong intellect? Great, use it. Don't check your intellect at the door. Don't just uh, be quiet and believe. But I want you to do, Jesus is saying, I want you to bring your intellectual objections. I want you to lay them at my feet. I want us to wrestle through this because I know that we're all hungry and searching for truth. And so Jesus says these words. He says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so in a world that's hungry for truth, we we could ultimately just say this, Jesus is the truth. So for us in our lives, Jesus is the truth. The fourth person is the artist. And so what is it that the artist really fears? The artist is fearful of being found as boring or mundane, you know, just kind of blah. What we see is that Jesus is the creator. It says this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. I love this because this is saying that each person is uniquely and wonderfully made. Oh, okay, you realize this, that even identical twins have different thumb marks and different personalities a lot of times. No two people are created the same way, but we're all unique and beautiful in that. And so what we can ultimately say is that Jesus is the perfect creator. He's the perfect, unique creator. Well, the fifth and final type of person I invite you to sink in, to step in is for the peacekeepers. Uh, These are people who fear conflict, discord, or division. And for those, we need to hear these words from Jesus. He, He says, peace I live with you. These are some of his final words. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. And so what is the answer to the world that we find ourselves in right now? Can we be honest? Can we lean in? It's Jesus. And it's the truth that Jesus is the great peace giver. When there's so much conflict, and man, it is so overwhelming right now. The person and work of Christ is the answer. And so we can encounter Jesus. Who is he? Well, we see that he's fully God and he's fully human. He's savior of the world, but we can experience him each and every day that he steps into the story with all of us, that he's the great achiever of our salvation. He's the great protector. He's the truth. He's the perfect creator, but he's also the great peace giver. And as we begin to sit in that, as we begin to understand who he is, then that should swell our hearts to now come to that third point, which is to express it, to express this value of Jesus into the world all around us. And just as a reminder, our value of Jesus is this. We share, speak, and teach about Jesus so that all may know him and that as they know him, they might find hope in him. And so today we've got a really fun story that I'm excited to share. Um, There's someone here at Westwood. She actually grew up at Westwood and um, she has been really expressing this value of Jesus into her life. And so I wanna invite up to this stage the one and only Jenna Latu. Will you give it up for Jenna as she comes on up? All right, thank you everyone. And everyone up here, let's give all of them a round of applause too, yeah. Thank you. Excellent, all right. We won't do a wardrobe change, I promise. It'll be good. That'll take too much time. No, it'll be good. Um, So Jenna, you grew up here at Westwood, which is uh, really exciting. I mean, in fact, there's a photo um, that we have 
up there on the screen. So that's you in the red shorts. And uh, who's, who's that guy to your left in the Luigi outfit? I think it's you. Oh, no. <laughs> that's me doing student ministry, what is that, 11 years ago? Yeah. So Jenna came through student ministry here. That's, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do Luigi as well. It kind of looks yeah. like Ted Lasso with the mustache. Pretty so it's close. a Ted Lasso Luigi. But anyways, um, you grew up here yeah. from being a young gal. Uh, so share a little bit about how God formed you through your time here at Westwood. Yeah, so as Zach said, Westwood was established in 1995, and so was I. Um, So I've been here for a while, um, and I just remember, like, in the way early days when we were over at Chaska High School, I remember praying the prayer with my mom in second grade on Easter Sunday um, to invite Jesus into my heart, and then I remember in fifth grade on New Year's Day getting baptized over there in that corner. Um, There was a pool there, um, and... From then on, just being like as involved in student ministries as I possibly could be. I was there every Sunday, every Wednesday. I went to all the camps. I volunteered whenever I could. Um, and I really loved it. I love my time here. Um, but that's kind of where Jesus lived for me. He was here or the quick prayer before, the di- before dinner at the dinner table. Um, I had a lot of head knowledge of who Jesus was, but it didn't really translate to my heart and how I lived my life. He was not the driver of my decisions. He did not drive... Um, when I was picking my friends or what I did with those friends um, or the time I spent with them. um, Yeah, there was just this like disconnect. There was the, he lived at church, but not in like everywhere else. But now looking back, I see how much Westwood and my time here and my family like planted those seeds along the way. That's amazing. Yeah. You you had mentioned at one point, it's kind of like he stayed there on Sundays and Wednesday nights, but it wasn't anything beyond that. Sure. You had that first kind of encounter with Jesus, but then you graduated high school and you left to go to the great country, I mean great state of Texas, (laughs) to go to TCU. Go Frogs. Yeah, go Frogs. Couple games today, couple March Madness games. It's a big day. Yeah. But it was there at TCU that you had uh, just an even deeper experience and and, an expression with Jesus. Share a little bit about that. Yeah, so moving away to Texas, I knew that Jesus was going to go with me, that like head knowledge piece of it. Um, But I didn't know that it would like change how I live my life or any way, that heart piece of it. Um, But the very first group of girls that he um, introduced me to at college was this group of girls who loved the Lord a lot. Um, And up until this point, I had like my spiritual life and church life over here, like work and school over here, social over here. And I didn't see a purpose or a need to combine that or like, yeah, I just didn't want to, honestly. Um, And this group of girls lived differently. And the night before I started classes my freshman year, they dragged me along to this Uh, this Young Life event, and I didn't know what Young Life was at the time. Um, And I just remember this being a switch for me. And we walked, as we walked into the commons at TCU, um, there's this like obnoxious music blasting, and like people are dancing everywhere, and there's t-shirt guns, and like, y'all, these people were so excited to see me, and I've never met them before. And (laughs) I was like, I don't know, just looking at them, I was like, there's something about them that I want, and I want what they're on, and this freedom that they had was... They're on Jesus, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're on Jesus. (laughs) We can say that. Get your head out of the gutter, y'all. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, but this freedom, I just, like, craved that and wanted to be a part of it. That's that's so good. I I love that because what you were saying is, as you began to, to move from that head knowledge to now experientially, but... It came not through the, the t-shirt guns and the loud music, but it was that 
freedom that they had. So where, yeah. where did that freedom, as you got to know them a little more, where did that freedom come from? Yeah, so the freedom was this like release of the weight of the pressures of the world. And like, we're also worried and consumed with like what people think of us or what society thinks of us. And these people seemed so free of that. They just like were living in a way that they knew who they were and they knew whose they were. And so they didn't need to be anything different than that. That's good. They knew who they were. And they also know, knew whose they were yeah. as well. I, I mean, that's so good. I mean, we, we know that we say here at Westwood, we are the beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God, yeah. which is so cool. So now you had that community established and you started to continually grow in that community through also Young Life. So share a little bit about Young Life in that community. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Young Life is a nonprofit Christian organization that meets kids where they are. Our mission is to introduce adolescents to Jesus Christ and to help them grow in their faith. Um, and we, like I said, do that through going to where they are and earning the right to be heard, whether that's middle school, high school, teen moms, friends with diff differing abilities, or college um, students. And getting involved in this ministry really changed everything for me. It was like how Jesus did ministry, right? He went to where the people were. Um, and so had I not met that group of girls right away at TCU, I don't know what community I would have sought out, and it wouldn't have probably looked the same at all. But with this group of girls, they came alongside me, and I alongside them, and we learned how to dive into church and make a church body our own home, um, apart from Westwood so far away. And we studied the Bible together, and for once I was choosing to study the Bible by myself, and then eventually trained to be a Young Life leader for girls at South Hills High School um, on my own. And so Jesus moved from being this like compartmentalized, like he's over here, everything else is over here, to he's in the middle, and it was like the center of everything. You saw the convergence of, of Jesus being Lord of all things in your life. For sure, yeah. And so you moved from that encounter to that experience with him, and now you've been expressing Jesus to the, the world around you, but mainly here in the Twin Cities. And so you, you're living out this, this value that we have to share, speak, and teach about Jesus so that all may know him through young life. For sure. So how have you seen Jesus transform the lives of youth and student here in our Twin Cities? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, there are a million stories I could tell just from being on the front lines um, of ministry, but this picture here is our group in Colorado two summers ago, and that's actually a couple miles away from the first picture of Zach and I, um, so kind of full circle. Um, and I could tell you a story of each face in this picture. I won't, because we have <laughs> games to get to today. Um, but two people that come to mind in this picture that are really special to me. Um, first, my friend Isabel. She went to confirmation growing up, and that was a checkbox for her. Her family did not go to church, um, and she did not meet the Lord until her encounter with Jesus at our Young Life camp her junior year. Um, and then fast forward four years, and I got to baptize her at the University of Minnesota this last fall. And just walking alongside her and her faith and how that has transformed everything has been really sweet. And then second, my friend Travis came to us in Young Life, not really seeking a relationship with the Lord, not seeking community. Um, and through the last four years, have just gotten to watch him learn how to serve in Christian community at um, our Young Life camps. And now he's at the University of St. Thomas, um, choosing to seek out Christian community that pushes him closer to the Lord. And so just seeing the way that the Lord has like met so many kids, church or unchurched, wherever they are, wherever they're at, and just transforming their lives has been really sweet. I love it. A lot of times here at Westwood, we say, find opportunities to bring Jesus into your spheres of influence. And so it's where you live, it's where you leisure, it's where you labor. So it's where you live, your neighborhood, it's where you have fun, where you leisure, but also where you labor, where you work. And so for you, what encouragement would you have for us just to kind of think through uh, how Jesus has intersected in with your story? Yeah, um, 
I think so many of us do that, where we compartmentalize Jesus to like where he lives. And, um, and I think taking that step to turn from like, okay, he's at church on Sundays to, okay, he's everywhere um, and he's everything and he's the driver. It's really scary and it's a lot of control that you have to give up. Um, but Jesus wants more of us than just Sundays and he wants more of us than just Wednesdays or more of us than just our nightly prayers. Um, and I think taking that step seems really scary and far away maybe, but on the other side of that fear, there's freedom mm-hmm. and there is life with purpose, right? And impact. Um, and it just... I mean, it completely transforms your relationship and you'll get to know a different Jesus than you ever thought. Amazing, amazing. On that other side of fear is freedom, yeah. purpose and intentionality. So for those who are maybe looking to take that step and maybe even jumping in and helping out with Young Life, what are a couple ways that they can do that? Yes and amen. We need all the help we can get. Um, there are three ways that, we, um, that you can help us is through your prayer, finances or time, you want to jump in with middle schoolers, friends with differing abilities, high schoolers, you name it. Um, we There's Young Life all over the metro, and there's my, oh, my email's right there, yeah. You can reach out to me, and I would love to connect you with the right people or the right spaces um, where we can use, or the Lord can use you, yeah. I love seeing Jesus at work, because as you saw in the very beginning, there was a photo of us in uh, Buena Vista, Colorado, up in the mountains, just being goofy and fun, and you were a leader then uh, as God worked through and planted seeds, but even to see you now and how you are reaching and, and loving on students in the city, it's amazing. So can we just give it up for Jenna? Thanks so much. Thanks. It's moments like that that make wearing a Luigi outfit worth it, Okay. But in all seriousness, let's uh, stand together, please. And I just encourage us, let's remember that we can first encounter Jesus. Who is he? He's fully God, fully human, savior of the world. And we can experience him, that he's with us in all things. The great achiever, the great protector, uh, the, the truth and the life. He's the one that creates all things. And he's the one that gives us peace. And so may that stir our hearts for what is before us. Let's unite our hearts in prayers together. God, we thank you and praise you so much that you sent your son, Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You didn't move from us, you moved towards us. And you gave your life as a ransom to seek and to save the lost. And so Lord, may that swell our hearts that as we get to know you and encounter you more, as we experience you each and every day, may that fill us up with your hope, with your goodness and with your life. And may we be so filled with that, that that pours out into expressing it and to the world around us, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our twin cities, and around the world, ultimately for our good, but for your glory as well. So be praised, be honored, be glorified in this time. We pray it all in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.